Welcome to episode 3 of Efficiently Effective, a podcast on content strategy and user experience. I'm your host, Saskia Wiedler. We all know that too much of our data is out in the wild. Every time you order something online, when you create a profile on a website or fill out a form, you are sending your personal data to an organization or company. But most of the time, you have no idea what happens with that personal data next. Will it be safely stored on a secure server? Will it be seen by someone just viewing it to process your order? Or will hordes of marketeers get a chance to play with it and profile you? Will it be sold to third parties? And what about tracking data, cookies and all the data you are not so knowingly sharing with the people at the other side of your screen? Some of the answers to this are in the privacy policies of these websites, apps and platforms we use. But who reads these things anyway? In this mini-series, we'll talk about the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. The GDPR is set up to protect the privacy of citizens of the European Union. It prohibits companies and organizations, and that includes government, to harvest, process and sell data in unlawful ways. In this first part of the GDPR series, I want to offer you a primer in what this regulation is all about. In the second part, we'll focus more on how it affects your work and your business, even if you're not in Europe, and what it means for content and UX. So, the GDPR is about privacy. My friend and cyborg rights activist Aral Balkan is very passionate about this issue. My name is Aral Balkan and I'm a cyborg rights activist. I uh, am currently leading uh, an initiative at DM25, which is a pan-European political movement with about 60,000 members uh, to create a progressive democratic counter-narrative to Silicon Valley's uh, surveillance capitalism. Um, and I'm also one-third of a uh, two-person and one-husky social enterprise working for social justice in the digital age. We like to think of the web as being decentralized, but it's actually centralized. Um, our new mainframes are the Googles and Facebooks of this world. And their business model is what I call people farming. So these are computers that you don't own and control, basically. Um, and the way that uh, Google and Facebook make their money is by tracking everything that you do, by storing it indefinitely, by analyzing it to create a profile of you, and then using this profile, this digital copy of you, as a proxy to exploit and manipulate your behavior. So um, this is, uh, in my view, a very toxic business model. It's not compatible with human rights. It's not compatible with democracy. Uh, so, of course, it is problematic for groups like corporations that are already very powerful, um, that are already, you know, have mul multiple billions of dollars uh, in their bank accounts, to also know everything about everyone. This is about a dif difference in power, power differential. And remember that we know nothing about these corporations. Sure, we might put Nest cameras in our homes and then Google gets to see what we're doing, right? But if you walk into Google Incorporated with a camera, you're going to get arrested. So we're talking about a difference in power here. Um, and remember that privacy, in Europe at least, is a fundamental human right. It's not a corporate right, and it's not a government right. But today we live in a topsy-turvy world where corporations and governments have a right to privacy, and we as individuals are expected to be entirely transparent. This is very, very dangerous. 
The General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, is here to protect the privacy of people. Until now, every European country has laws in place to do this, but because of the slight differences in local law, companies can choose where to set up shop in order to benefit from the laws that are most optimal for them. The GDPR makes all of Europe an even playing field in that regard. We've noticed that a lot of companies and organizations in and outside of Europe are not up to speed when it comes to the GDPR. Most of the work will entail the inventory of data, identifying data streams, processes and storage, and making them compliant. Also, every company needs to have a data protection officer and a GDPR task force in place for monitoring and escalation purposes. Seems like a good time to lawyer up, so that's what we did. My name is Bert van den Brande from Sirius Legal Law Firm. We're a small law firm specializing in internet law with offices in Brussels, Antwerp and Mechelen. I'm the managing partner of the firm and my uh, work over the past few months and for the coming two years is mainly centered around general data protection regulation and the impact it will have on our clients. What impact will it have on your clients? A lot. <laughs> unfortunately, most of them, well, our clients do realize by now, but uh, unfortunately, most enterprises don't understand um, still don't understand how big the impact of that general data protection regulation will be um, impact on 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 two levels i think one is uh, pure database management and how to um, collect data um, which information to give to people whose data you're collecting how to treat minors that's one part but the second part concerns the entire organization and that is where um, a lot of organizations don't realize the impact because the second part of the regulation um, is all about um, how data is treated within the organization um, with obligations of um, appointing a data protection officer with obligation of uh, running a data protection impact assessment a risk assessment, uh, identifying possible data risks within the organization, um, and so on and so on. So that second part is the, the, the main focus of our work for the moment. What would you say is the hardest part? The hardest part for most organizations is identifying what data is being treated within the organization, identifying uh, which persons have access to that data and identifying which tools are used to use that data. Um, most organizations, especially bigger organizations, simply don't have an idea on where data is located, who has access to it, and what data is stored. Because general data protection regulation doesn't only concern uh, marketing data, marketing databases, but concerns HR, concerns invoicing, sales, purchasing, um, which makes that... Um, the impact on the organization can be very, very, very broad. Are there any common mistakes or misconceptions that you have to work with? Well, the first common mistake or misconception is that the general data protection regulation only concerns IT and marketing, which is not true. It concerns, as I said before, the entire organization. Um, and, and the main focus point for most organizations isn't even in IT or in marketing, because if you have a good IT service, then um, data security should be more or less okay. In reality, the big changes to be made are often in, uh, in unexpected areas like HR, for instance, um, where a lot of paper data still goes around and where um, the security of that data isn't always uh, um, secured mm -hmm. or certain. The second most uh, common misconception is that organizations th uh, 
think that they still have enough time to start a compliance trajectory um, or that there is no urgency or that there will not be enforcement um, as of next year. And unfortunately, that is not true. Um, there will be enforcement, um, not immediately as of uh, the, 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 ne the day after the 25th of May. Um, but in the course of 2018, there will be enforcement. That's one. And two, compliance usually takes time. Um, takes uh, depending on the size of the organization and the the maturity um, on on a data treatment level of the organization can take a few weeks to a few months um, with a limited number of specialists available to assist um, that means that organizations that don't get started in the upcoming weeks during the summer um, early fall at the latest will have trouble getting compliance in time for May next year. So the GDPR is not limited to companies. It applies to government as well. That's why we went to speak with Seppe at the city of Ghent. Hi, I'm Seppe van Stielend. I'm the data protection officer of the city of Ghent. So my most important tasks are the implementation of the new GDPR, which has a huge implication on uh, the way we, um, we work with personal data uh, in our city. So that's the big challenge at this moment. Uh, there's a lot of uh, new things coming up, so uh, interesting. How big is your mountain of data? Uh, well, it's massive. We have some services here at City that have data on all possible fronts. Uh, some are medical, some uh, is very sensitive uh, data from uh, yeah, the National Register. Uh, some has very da uh, sensitive data about social uh, stuff. Um, so it's 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 huge. It's huge the amount of data we have, and it's very diverse. So that's the big that's the big issue. It's very diverse. Uh, we need to take very different measures uh, depending on what data it is. Concerning the the storage and the processing of the data, you mean? Yes, definitely. Yeah. In our content and UX work, we can also come in contact with personal data. Think of interviews, surveys, and testing data. If you don't work with this personal data according to the rules of the GDPR, your company is not compliant and liable for hefty fines. We're talking 4% of the yearly annual world revenue with a maximum of 20 million euros. Seems like the days of boundless data harvesting are over. The GDPR will impact business models, design and content worldwide. As designers of experiences and as governors and creators of content, we are responsible for creating systems, frameworks, flows and information that is clearly communicated and rid of legal mumbo-jumbo. We should be protective of the privacy of the people we are designing for to make sure that when asked for personal data, their consent to give that information is informed, specific and freely given. Now the general data protection regulation makes for quite a read. You can find a link to it on efficientlyeffective.fm. But let me just highlight a few of the principles in it. Let's start with the six principles of privacy. First, lawfulness, fairness and transparency. Private data should only be used by organizations in a lawful and fair way. It should be clearly explained to the user why and how the information will be used, stored and processed. 2. Purpose limitations. Organizations are only allowed to use personal data for the goals they communicated at the time of transaction. They can no longer take a database and use the data in it for purposes other or unrelatable to what was communicated to the user back then. Selling personal data without permission is of course completely out of the question. For example, if you order something 
online um, and with the same company you try to file a complaint they cannot just link the information from the complaint with the order they have to ask explicitly to you is it okay that I use your order information and this is something that is that everybody does the, as soon as you send a complaint or any type of information to most companies they are completely aware of what you do they, they've seen they have a whole history of you and everybody has access to it. This is Clovis Six. He's a UX researcher at Internet Architects and, frankly, one of my favorite people to work with. Three, data minimization. According to the GDPR, organizations can no longer ask you for all the information they like to have, only for the information that's essential for offering you the service you ask for. If your address, dietary needs, or financial situation is not essential for them to do the job you ask them to do, like sign up for a newsletter or an RSVP to an event, then they are not allowed to even ask for it. Profiling and marketing are most of the time not essential for servicing the client. 4. Accuracy. The information has to be straightforwardly interpreted and should not be out of date. It should also be rectifiable by the user. Here's close again with a good example of that. If you gave information to a bank, for example, when you, uh, I don't know, one visit two or three years ago that you that you said something and then they, they wrote it down and now you're going for a loan and they base your, the decision of your loan on that information, this is not okay. They should... Um, at least tell you what information they base it on and they should give you the opportunity to make it accurate because they they knew, they never really have an idea whether it's accurate or not they might think yes because it's filled in but they don't know because I mean it's not their life right 5. Storage limitations Personal data can only be stored for a few years and only in a secure file or system on a secure server that is physically in Europe and that goes for legacy data too for which you will have to have proof that you have consent to store it in the first place. Which, indeed, might be tricky. 6. Integrity and confidentiality. Private data should be stored and processed in a way that the data is protected from loss, destruction or damage. What I've seen time and time again in every single company I've been is that they profile both their employees and their data subjects that they work with or at least their customers it's all too easy to go into a database and, and start looking up what or who it is or for example people that um, you have a, you have a kid and that kid is dating somebody and you want to kind of figure out what type of spender they are and you go into the database right, and you look up what they're what they're buying it, it, it happens a lot more than you think um, and storage limitations so make sure that you don't store it indefinitely and again, that too, usually they want to store the information as long as they can. The magic word in the new GDPR is consent. As an organization, you need to get consent of the user that is informed, so users need to know what they're agreeing to. Freely given, you can't force someone to give their data. Specific, they are only agreeing to what you are specifically saying they are agreeing to. And unambiguous. Just like in other cases where you need consent, consent is a clear yes, not the absence of a no. I met Katrina Dow at an event on the future of data, where she gave a great talk about the value of personal data. Hi, I'm Katrina Dow, and I'm the founder and CEO of Miko. And Miko is a dual-sided personal data platform um, that enables people to share their identity and their information with the people and organizations they trust. So Katrina, how should we approach consent? 
ask for consent in context. And so the best practice is not is not to try and catch consent for everything mm-hmm. because it becomes overwhelming. But to make it really meaningful. So it might be about a specific article, not forever, but in order to read this or to tailor this for this, you know, this moment in time. Um, if people have to try and process too much context around what they're being asked to do, um, we know from a UX point of view that already creates friction, but also people are really busy. You know, they're on the tram, you know, they're running for the train, they're on their way to work, they're picking up their children. There are so many decisions every day that we're making unconsciously that when we're asked to make a conscious decision, it has to be really easy to interpret. Then we also have to be maybe very selective of what we ask. Absolutely. And again, this is the context. Um, you know, if if you're asking me for something that I have to imagine I might do mm-hmm. as opposed to something I'm doing right now, then the challenge in terms of um, what you're asking of me to appreciate and process and make a decision on is is much more difficult. And and so I think this is one of the the benefits also from a content UX point of view is to say um, here is the offer, here is the value, and here's what's being asked. And it's being asked once in this context. So so depending on how content um, Uh, providers think about that it could be very positive it could also be really challenging i i think the best way to explain some of the the pitfalls that i've encountered there is to to give you an example and the example i want to give you is uh, an e-commerce case what i had to do is we had to do a redesign of of an an e-commerce website and there's always a few points where we have to uh we have to kind of spend some more attention on. First thing is um, profiling and and registration. So usually there's two things that uh, are connected to personal data. There's either the checkout or a profile. There are two different cases. The profile case is where you need to uh, kind of give a consent. You have to ask consent because there's no real action involved or or there's no contract involved. I'll put it like that. So if there's no contract... You have to ask for a consent to the user to use their personal data. So we had to create a registration form where we asked for their consent in terms of privacy, and we had to be very transparent about what we did. That means how long uh, were we going to keep the data, where we're going to store the data, who will get the data, what we're going to do with the data. So the explicit goals. And the way we did that was well, next to every single input field, we at least uh, added a, a notice. To, to tell the user, okay, um, if you ask your date of birth, this is the reason why. If you ask your first name and last name, this is the reason why. Also, if you ask uh, if you're male or female, this is the reason why. Uh, first name and last name might be very obvious, but gender is not always obvious in a case like that. Because I don't really know why a lot of websites ask my gender. Because, for example, in an e-commerce setting, it really doesn't matter if I'm male or female in order to buy the product I want. It matters to them to do advertising to me. But that's another case, and then they have to ask my consent again. That is usually where the, where the problem starts if you're, in, if you're talking to a marketing department. Um, so that is for uh, registration. So make sure that you're cl- very clear-cut. You have to be kind of the white knight of privacy, right? Uh-huh. 
the city of Ghent is very progressive when it comes to technological innovation. So how's it for you, Seppa? What with the people who you have collected data of, for instance, for an Internet of Things application? We are still looking uh, for uh, for that. Um, it depends on what the processing is, of course. Um, but for extra processing that is not uh, a legal application, we are uh, looking at ways to uh, find consent. Definitely, when we take into account the IoT story, um, we still have the issue, how can we obtain consent when the data is uh, processed or is collected by an IoT device. Yeah. So that's that's still a difficult issue and uh, we're still working on trying to find a way to uh, yeah, find a solution for that. And then there's privacy by design and privacy by default. Privacy by design is about the whole engineering process of a service. It takes privacy into account at every step. We also call it value-sensitive design, in which human values are taken into account in a well-defined manner throughout the whole process. Privacy by default means that all the privacy settings are set to optimal privacy. You will be asked for consent when prompted for personal details. Also, only the bare minimum of information will be asked for. Privacy by default can be seen as a subset of privacy by design. Bart from Sirius Legal has an example of that. Uh, for instance, if you install an app, um, privacy by design will mean that automatic sharing of location data will no longer be possible um, if, unless you can prove that you need the location data. Um, privacy by default, um, that is something that people will notice. Um, but pri pri privacy by default means that if um, an, uh, a service... Uh, is going to have an impact on privacy, that service can't be activated unless people actively choose to do so. Complicated way to uh, to explain something very simple. I'll give an example. Um, a few months ago, Telenet, the Belgian television distri distributor, the Flemish television distributor, um, announced a new service um, saying that based on um, the programs you watched, and they know exactly what you what you watch um, on based on the decoder data, the decoder registers what uh, what you watch. They will be offering specific uh, TV programs and movies in the future based on your preferences. That is one thing, and they will very soon start to offer. Um, personalized um, advertisements based on your preferences. Um, that is something that is basically okay because you accepted the terms and conditions when you um, uh, became a Telenet user. Um, but they also announced that that service will be active automatically unless you choose to deactivate it in the settings. Mm -hmm. That is exactly the opposite of privacy by default. Privacy by default would require them to not activate it unless you choose to do so, which means that um, a lot of apps, a lot of websites will need to explain to people why um, data is, is, is required, why they have to share something, and how they can activate services um, which today would be automatically activated. Although it's a European regulation put in place by the European Parliament, the Council of the European Union and the European Commission, it will have worldwide implications. For a European company to be compliant, their partners and the tools they use have to be compliant too, no matter where they are in the world. In the next episode of this GDPR miniseries, we'll take a closer look at the implications the GDPR has on your content and UX processes and workflows. One of the things that I found out is that my data doesn't just stay with the company that I buy. 
It goes to、uh, the delivery service. It usually also goes to a payment partner. And I have no idea how long it stays there. I have no idea what they do with it. By next year in May,、um, every newspaper, every TV and radio station will have items on general data protection regulation. The awareness with the consumers will only grow,、um, which also will have as a consequence, I think, that companies that respect、um, uh, people's data and that can really. Use data compliance as a sales argument will have an advantage in the European markets. I think we're at this crossroads, really, where you see in Europe more and more regulation moving towards the rights of the citizen or the recognition that data is an asset, and like any asset, your home, you know,、uh, shares that you have in the stock market. If you control that, there, you are the beneficiary,、um, and so I think. I personally think that if that is done well, it could lead to a digital renaissance. You know, really fantastic. Tune in next time for the full story. Thanks for listening. If you like what we do, please tell a friend, your coworker, or your Twitter audience about us. Leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or get in touch through Twitter. We are Effective Pod. Big thanks to our experts: Katrina Dow at Miko, Bart van den Brande at Sirius Legal. Clovis Six at Internet Architects, Seppe van Steeland at City of Ghent, and Aral Balkan at Indie. Check out their profiles on efficientlyeffective.fm, where you will also find more info on the GDPR and some helpful links. Editing, technical, and mental support by Sander Spoelspoel. Creative Commons licensed music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and by Tatrial. Efficiently Effective is a production by the Duchess.